0: Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents, you're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by RJ Bates III. Here's RJ. Hey guys, welcome to the Titanium Vault. I'm your host, RJ Bates. Today I'm sitting down with Toby Mathis. How are you doing, man? I'm doing awesome. Yeah, well, I'm excited to have you here. Uh, We're going to talk all things asset protection, tax advice. We've got a top-notch attorney who has tens of thousands of clients from across the country. So why don't you take a quick second to kind of briefly introduce your company and and how you got into uh, being an attorney in the real estate investing industry.
1: Oh my goodness. All right. So yeah. as you said, I'm an attorney, but I'm not that type of attorney. I'm the good kind of attorney. A lot of people want to kick their attorney. Uh, got into becoming an attorney because I didn't like attorneys. I worked for, a, I had a mentor. I, just, I was very, very lucky to have a guy that, uh, he, his son was a very good friend of mine and he brought me up on, uh, on how to be an independent business owner. So we all, all, the son, the dad and I all went to law school at the same time. It was kind of funny dad got kicked out he was a he didn't know how to shut up he was one of those, they don't like you there if, if, if you're challenging the professor all the time right um, awesome guy so in and he also was uh, introduced me to the first real estate investor I ever met was a guy named Boyd Watkins out of uh, Burien Washington who had hundreds of properties to his name this is back in the 80s all in Seattle and Denver and he just said hey if, if, if you ever get in uh whatever you're doing buy real estate he goes. It'll treat you good and it'll, it'll pay you forever. So uh, I, I follow that. I have over 100 properties myself with with my partner, Clint. And uh, we work real hard to, to grow our firm. We have over 30,000 clients nationwide. We've taught and we still do teach for the groups like the Rich Dads of the World and you know groups that teach real estate investing. We come behind and teach you how not to lose it all to the tax man and how not to get it taken away from you by tenants that have... Uh, you know, that, that drive down the freeway and see that, that, that advertisement for a lawyer and think that, uh, you're their lottery ticket.
0: Right. Know? So I, you know, we were briefly chatting before, you know, I went on to the vault, which is our Facebook group. And, and I asked people like, Hey, there's some questions that you want answered in this. And, and one of your clients hopped on there and said, I absolutely adore Toby. He's a blessing to, to have on our team. Uh, but why do attorneys have this like negative connotation? Like, I can't stand attorneys, no offense, but I don't even really know why. I mean, what, what is that?
1: Well, okay, so you learn how to use a weapon, and the weapons are words. And so all it is is that if, if I walked up and put a gun to your head and said, give me 20 bucks, I go to jail. If I put a, a lawsuit to your head and say, give me $20,000, I get paid. And so it's it's rewarding bad behavior. And before all the plaintiff lawyers out there start giving me all this crap about Hey, we do it because, you know, the unrepresented and you have these unequal. Yes, there's that case. But the vast majority of the time, what I see in business is shakedowns. I see legalized extortion. So a lot of people don't like it. And lawyers tend to think very impersonally. In other words, you learn to think like a lawyer in law school, which means take the emotion out and take take the, the equation out. Take the people out. You start thinking of people as plaintiffs and defendants. And the whole world becomes one big old here's a client and I can tell you go into court and I've clerked for three different judges I've been there done that have that t-shirt and I, I love them but you never want to be in court it's not a good place to be it's just like if you can avoid it avoid it and you want to force settlement and you want to pay your debts and I'm the first guy to tell you like if you owe somebody pay them. Right. if they've done you wrong then try to resolve it outside of a courtroom. If you have to go to a courtroom, it's a, it's last resort. Problem is, a lot of lawyers think it's first resort. And like I guess the old adage is, when you're a hammer, the whole world looks like a nail. A lot of these lawyers make their make make their living driving nails, and they're just trying to find nails out there, and they're advertising for them, and they're just looking. And people are unwittingly becoming that nail.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, just from my personal experience, it's always kind of been like I felt like. Anytime I needed an attorney for whatever reason, it felt like a very elongated process. To where you know the hours were their way to make money, and and I'm kind of going, you know, you just spent six hours to essentially ask me what I want you to do, and then I told you, and you wrapped it up in twenty minutes, and then billed me for six hours and twenty minutes. And I'm like, that that was not a pleasant experience. So I know you have a ton of value to bring to today's episode. So I really want to dive into some of these topics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to just jump into to probably the one question that almost all real estate investors have, which is how did the rich avoid paying taxes, right? I mean, as investors, we, we hate paying taxes, right? That's like the worst thing in the world for us. So uh, yeah. what are some of those tips that you have for us?
1: Yeah. If you never want to pay taxes, it just don't work, right? <laughs> no, uh, they'll probably give you some money to sit on your butt. No, the, uh, how do the rich not pay taxes is they, they use the laws as they're written. So for example, we have a president right now that's taking some heat because he doesn't want to release his tax returns. So that's because most people won't understand it. But like I know a few of the things that he does. He does, uses his conservation easements, for example. So he's always going down to the uh, summer White House, right? whatever they call it, the Mar-a-Lago. He goes down and hangs out on his golf course. Um, regardless of whether you like him or not, Trump uses the tax laws to his benefit. And one of the things he did down there was uh, Mar-a-Lago I think is six parcels And it's a big golf course. So what he did is he gave the rights, development rights, future development rights to somebody, to a conservation group. He says, we'll never develop this. We'll never make it into track homes. We'll never do any of that stuff. In fact, we'll even give to a preservation uh, foundation, all of the antiques and everything that are in the clubhouse. And we'll make sure that we never dispose of those. We'll always keep them there. And we'll have a gala every year and you you guys can go look at the antiquities, you know. That sort of thing. He did that with three parcels and got about a $5 million deduction. It didn't come out of pocket. What he did is he restricted his right on that property and it devalued the, prop- the future value of the property. In other words, if you really wanted to make the most money on it, you would develop it and sell it to builders and they would build houses on it. But he wants to keep it as a golf course. So that reduction in fair market value, he took as a charitable donation. He did it to the tune of about $90 million in New Jersey on his courses there. So yeah, so he conjures up out of thin air. He goes, oh, I think I'll create a tax deduction over here. I think I'll take another one over here. And we all have that ability, especially in real estate. And that's because there's incentives in the tax code to be an investor. You want to get beat on every dollar you make? Go work at McDonald's. They'll hit you with old age, death and survivors, Medicare, FUDA, SUDA, and withholding and state they'll hit you with every like you look at your paycheck you're getting it all. You own real estate, there's a good chance you'll never pay tax. And by the way, if you die, your st- your basis steps up and your kids won't pay tax.
0: So let me ask you this. I mean, you know, I I highly respect our president. I think he's a brilliant man, but he's also a very busy man. Like he's not sitting there coming up with these decisions himself, right? I mean, who is it on his team that says, "Hey, let's take these three parcels, and this is the strategy to get this tax cut. Who's doing that?
1: It's a tax planner, and there's a big difference between a preparer and a planner.
0: Hey, let me go ahead and not be prepared for this podcast and have my phone on uh, ring. There, <laughs> the, the, this is the ninety-first episode, and that's the first time I've ever had my ringtone go off a mid-interview. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, so so who on who on Donald Trump's team? Is is coming up with this strategy for him?
1: I uh, forget the guy. I don't think it's. But a guy. isn't
0: it, is it an attorney? I mean, it, is it someone in your role?
1: More than likely, it's an executive who has experience in the area. So here's the here's the here's the hard truth. If you want to learn how to do tax planning, talk to somebody who's been an investor and who's done it and who learned from somebody who knew how, how, to, how to get the pass. So here's here's the example I'll give you, RJ. So if I, if I flew into. Um, I use this example sometimes. If you go into Orlando and you're going to go to Disney World and you follow all the signs, you will go and you'll hit every toll booth on the way to Disney World. But the very first exit when you leave that airport, you could go to Sand Lake Road and you could avoid every toll all the way to Disney World. The only difference is that it used to be you had to know somebody that was a local to say, hey, get off the tollway and drive down this road. And now you have Google where you can say avoid tolls. And right. You. Well, the tax code's no different. There's two tax codes. There's the tax code for the rich and the tax code for the poor. Or there's the tax code for the informed and the ill-informed. You don't know, have to know the whole tax code. We don't have to know all the roads in Orlando either. We just have to know the role that road that avoids the toll. And maybe I have to stop at a couple red lights along the way, whereas the tollway would have got me there five minutes earlier. I get to make that decision. If I wanna avoid the tax, I can avoid the tax. If I want to pay the tax because it's more efficient and maybe because it's less bother, I can do that too. And so I always say it's like tax appetite. How hungry are you? If you're getting killed in taxes, you're pretty hungry. If you're not taxes anyway, you don't really care.
0: So So let's talk about some of these loopholes that you're talking about. What are some of the top ones that For someone that's breaking in, you know, I I think some of our, the majority of our listener base is going to be somewhere in the mid six figures to the, you know, maybe two to $3 million range. That's kind of where I think the majority of our listeners are ranging. What are some top loopholes that that those types of businesses are missing right now?
1: Well, the first thing I would do is say that as an individual, if you're making over half a million dollars, you're going to be in the top tax brackets. So every dollar that you make, depending on what state you're in, like if you're in California, you're paying 50%. You got 13% plus 37% uh, federal tax, you got 13% state. Plus you have the uh, net investment income tax of 3.8. You know, they have all these little taxes that they tag on you as an individual. So the first thing I would say is you gotta get really good at income shifting, which means creating other taxpayers. We're all used to doing it and we all know what it is, but we don't realize that we're doing it. So for example, uh, going back to the president, Donald Trump. His dad figured out, hey, maybe if I pay my kids, that's going to be a lower tax bracket. Fantastic. Maybe I'll have a corporation make some of the money. Fantastic. Maybe I'll fund an IRA. Great. How about a 401k? Perfect. How about the te- the uh, the the type of retirement account that nobody knows about, but that has more money in it than the 401ks all added up? That's a defined benefit plan. That's only for the rich. I'll tell you that. And uh, maybe we do that. And maybe we're just starting to push the assets over here. So for example, let's say one of your listeners has kids and they're putting them through college. Quit paying, you know, quit paying for your kids' tuition. Pay your kids out of your business and let them pay their own tuition. It's gonna, it's gonna put it in a much lower tax bracket. In fact, they may be paying zero. My daughter graduated last year and her tax bracket was way better than mine. Something that I would have paid four or $5,000 on. For her, it was four or 500 bucks. And so we literally get to keep that money in our family. You just have to start thinking about that. Right. You really, you just need a guide who says, hey, here's your options. Here's where we should put it. Here's the good, the bad, and the ugly. If we do this, then here's what happens. If we do this, then here's what happens.
0: Was your daughter a member of the wolf pack?
1: <laughs> yes, she was. You can
0: tell. Uh, so I was about to say, I mean, you're wearing the Nevada shirt, so I, I had to, to ask. Yeah, cool. So is Anderson Law Group, your, your company, is that something that you guys specialize in and, and help investors do out of the 30,000 clients? Is, that so, is this something that y'all help with?
1: Yeah, that's what, that, that, it really what it boils down to is when I look at somebody, I'm going to try to create a blueprint for them, say, hey, here's what it would look like. And then on an annual basis, you're just tweaking around. You're saying, let's, let's, let's see, let's try this. And I'll give you a great example. Somebody comes in and they're, they're, uh, they're going to buy real estate and they start buying some rental properties. And that rental property is breaking even. We don't have a tax appetite on it yet. But let's say, I'll give you a a prime example. This was from one of my classes about two months ago. Um, It was a doctor who was making about a million dollars. It was the wife that was making about a million bucks and the husband is doing real estate investing. And I explained to him, hey, if that's all you're doing you're gonna be a real estate professional. That means that your losses on real estate are actually can offset your wife's income. And it could have a pretty dramatic impact. They were in a high tax state, so they were paying on every dollar about 50 cents. So if we can create losses, and he said, Well, I don't I can't create losses. I just I'm breaking even on my real estate. My depreciation offsets my income, so we're at zero. I said, That's your thinking and you're limiting your belief to what you've been told, which is that when I depreciate real estate, I depreciate it over this long time horizon, like 27 and a half years, or, you know, if it's, if it's residential at 39 years, a lot of people don't realize you can accelerate that. That's the starting point. I could take about 20 to 30% of that value of the business and depreciate it and take it this year. It's called a cost segregation. I can take it in, in their particular case, they did one property and it was $178,000 deduction. So what was it worth to them? Half of 178, whatever that number is. It's a right.
0: lot. Yeah, that's, that's, that's massive. And and to have someone on your team, I mean, that that is giving that sound advice, mm-hmm. I mean, over the course of, you know, three, four five years, that's a drastic difference to where their business is going to be. But one of the things that I've really been focusing on here over the past three or four months is really not not hiding on a platform or hiding behind a microphone and, and talking about how everything's roses and rainbows and really kind of talking about, Hey, you know, uh, there's struggles in, in trying to scale your business and, and continuing to grow. And, and I want to share some of the struggles that we've been going through. And, and one of those things that I've been talking about recently is the, the nightmares of trying to scale your business and what that does to your cash flow. So, <laughs> So let's talk about if I'm sitting down with you, and, and, and maybe this is going to be difficult to give a, a quick, precise answer, so I apologize if that's the case, but if I'm sitting down and I'm saying, hey, we need to do something to uh, you know, relieve the tax burden that we're going to have, mm-hmm. but in, in using your example of like, well, maybe we'll fund a corporation here or an IRA or a 401k when you're talking to someone like me that's got these massive goals and I want to continue to grow, it's it's a fear, it's a fear of mine to say, I don't want to put a lot of cash in a 401k or an IRA where I I may need that liquid cash in six months because of cash flow issues. If something comes up on a larger project or a portfolio doesn't start performing the way or multifamily doesn't perform the way we thought. So what is your advice to someone in that position going from, you know, one or let's call it two to five million, trying to scale to ten million? Because those are really like almost every entrepreneur I've talked to in that position says that's kind of one of the hardest times, right? Like to go from that level. So what's your advice there? I love
1: that question. I've never been asked that question on a podcast before. This you're you're going right into my wheelhouse, by the way. So the the zero to one million is a different mindset than the one million to ten million. And the $10 million to $100 million is a complete other mindset. There's actually really good books on it. Bern Hanisch wrote one called Scaling Up, The Rockefeller Habits. There's traction that follow the Rockefeller Habits. And what it really comes down to is, yeah, you have to morph yourself. And you got to surround yourself with excellent people. So when you're scaling up, cash is king. I'll just be like real serious. right? And so you start looking at things that are going to allow you to preserve your cash by minimizing your tax liability. In fact, let's see if we can defer it out. If you get over five million dollars you go to accrual based accounting and we could start accruing liabilities not paying tax on income until sometime into the future in uh, real estate we can depreciate the heck out of things in a traditional business we can buy things even on credit that create massive tax deductions now so for example i'll give you one of our cases we were sitting on about a two million dollar profit one year and I looked at Clint and I said, I don't want to pay tax on it. Do you want to pay tax on it? I don't want to pay tax on it. I said, well, we have three buildings down in Vegas. And I said, let's put a bunch of new copiers in them." Well, here's the here's the funny part. A lot of people think you have to buy it. No, you can do a lease with a paid on termination of less than 10% as capitalized, And that year was 100% bonus depreciation, which means I didn't come out of pocket anything. In fact, they gave me $37,000, not it was 57, excuse me. To pay off my, my my previous leases, like here's the money that you're going to owe on your past copiers, and then we bought two million dollars worth of copiers, and guess what? Our tax liability was zero. Wow. So, but here's the rub on that: I can get your liabilities to zero. We could buy other assets. We could buy commercial real estate, for example, and take a huge deduction year one, even if you're buying it on credit. But you show a zero on your tax return. You're trying to scale up it's going to be really tough to get a loan.
0: Yeah. And that and that's the give and take as well, right? So when we're trying to scale up in, and you're talking about buying real estate so then we could depreciate it to limit the tax liability, but then we're going to banks saying, hey, you know, here's my tax returns. And they're, and it, I, 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 I kid- they're
1: going to say, what are you, a tax cheat?
0: Gonna- well, and, and I kid you not, man. I have, I, there's a local bank here in Fort Worth. I won't name them. Um, I've used them for probably three to four years to get small, like single family loans on rental properties. And every year he wants to have a meeting with just me. And I go in there I give him the P and L, the personal financial statement. And every year he just looks at me and he goes, you just don't make any money.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm like, well,
1: we can fix that like that.
0: I'm like, Yeah maybe, but that part of that is a little bit strategic, but it's also because I don't have someone like you on my team that maybe is, is balancing that equation out. Right. You know what you're running
1: up against? And we see this all the time. And I tell you what, your accountant's not going to get it. Your attorney's not going to get it. You got to deal with people that actually do what you do. So I do I own a lot of properties, Right. what it's like. And I had zero tax returns where they're like, what the heck? What are you, a tax cheat? And you're like, no, I, we, we, we get all these tax benefits. Yeah, that's great. Right. You have somebody, you have to have a banker that understands it, or you have to make yourself look the way the banker wants you to look. So the question I would go to your bank here is say, what do, you, what do you need me to make? And then I would make sure your business is not a flow through business. Right. I'd make sure that while you're growing up and, 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 and where you're drawing your salary from is an entity that does not flow onto your tax return, but is a separate taxable entity and it's paying you a w2 wage and you're going to say well wait a second i'm getting this w2 wage. this is going to be horrible now i'm going to have to i'm going to pay tax on all of it uh huh to get to be able to grow that's a small price to pay right. but it's not going to be a million dollars that they're going to want to see it's probably going to be like 150 or 200,000 fantastic well i can fund a retirement plan i can put almost in many cases all that money into a retirement plan it still shows up as my taxable income. In other words, when I show them a W-2, it says 150. That's what they need. When they start looking at your tax returns, if you're a real estate investor, watch their eyes roll back. They're not going to get it. They don't understand the Schedule E. as soon like, They don't know the difference between page one and page two. Right. No, the first page of that 1040, and maybe they know a few of those lines. And uh, you just get yourself in
0: hot water. So you brought up on my previous question that, once you start eclipsing that $5 million mark, that's when you need to go to the accrual accounting system, right?
1: Yeah, technically you're required to. So you start going over a certain dollar amount is you're gonna be, on on a traditional business, you're gonna be looking at changing the type of taxpayer you are.
0: So let's say I have five entities Mm -hmm. and they're each doing a million a piece. Is that when we need to do it or is it an individual entity is going over the 5 million?
1: It's an actual individual business that we're looking at. Now, okay. technically, you could do accrual-based accounting under many circumstances. Right. But, uh, you know, what, what we're looking at on accrual-based accounting is being able to accrue liabilities that haven't had. Otherwise, if you're a cash basis, just, just, so it, just to make sure that it makes sense. If I'm a cash basis taxpayer, I recognize income when I receive it. I get to write things off when I pay it. If I'm accrual-based then i recognize income even before i receive it if i'm owed that money and if i owe money i can take that deduction even before i pay it and so you can have massive liabilities so for example if i'm getting paid $1000 and i know it's going to cost me 800 bucks to fulfill it i'm only going to be taxed on $200 in that year even though i haven't paid the 800 bucks it right. allows companies to be more accurate in their reporting uh, you know so when you're doing it because otherwise cash basis You know, we can make those numbers jump all over the
0: place. So one of the questions that, you know, I see in Facebook groups and we're in several masterminds, everybody's got questions about the new tax laws. What can you tell us about that? What do we need to know about the new tax laws?
1: So for real estate investors specifically, I'll just just hit on it. As an individual, as a human being, they eliminated miscellaneous itemized deductions, which means if you were filing something on a Schedule A, you're, you're probably hosed. Uh, they raised the standard deduction, so now it's it's over twenty four thousand as a married couple. I think it's twenty four thousand four hundred or twelve thousand two hundred this year. And unless you're exceeding those, you're not getting any benefit for your uh, finance. You know, for the uh, interest you're paying on your primary home loan, um, you're not getting your charitable deductions if you don't exceed that. And in uh, medical, if you have to exceed ten percent, you're not getting that. And then if you live in a state that has state taxes or you're paying real estate taxes, you're capped at 10,000. So if you're like in New York or California or Connecticut or Maryland, where you're paying 40 or $50,000 a year, you're only gonna to get to write off 10,000. So that, that really stinks. Uh, from a business standpoint, they gave us a lot of benefits. They, they capped C-Corps at 21%, I mean a flat tax. And, uh, and if you know how this works, most accountants immediately regurgitate something they learned years ago, which is double tax. And they, you know, double tax bad. It's almost like a caveman. <laughs> it's not, you have, to, you have to actually pencil it out. What it is, is the corporation pays tax and if it pays it to its shareholders, they pay it at the long-term capital gains rate, which could be zero. You know, if you're less than 75, uh, what, 78, $79,000 as a married couple, you're paying zero on your capital gains. Like I don't really care about that. Worst case scenario, you're paying 20% on it. So I kind of look at it and say, but why would I issue it? Like I could count on that one hand how many times we issue dividends. You're just going to sit on it and you're going to wait. And it's being taxed at 21%, whereas as an individual, I may have been hit at 37% to 50%, depending on where I live. Right. Keeping a big chunk of that money and then say, well, how do I get access to the money? Loan it, borrow it. Have it be a partner in something. Right. Just another person. It just pays a lot less tax than you.
0: So when you say loan it, are you saying like that corporation is then gonna loan it to another one of your companies, maybe to purchase a property or something along those lines?
1: Exactly. Like there's no reason that like it's it's truly an artificial person. So could I use it to you have to pay it interest if it's over ten thousand dollars. Right, right. You gotta pay it interest. Fine. I'll pay some interest. It's 21%, 21%, like I'm not worried about that and I'm gonna offset it with other expenses. What I know is that I can actually partner up with it or I could borrow the money. Worst case scenario is I pay it out to myself. Like if I paid a, if I had money going to a corporation and the accountant immediately goes double tax, double tax. That's only on the profit. If I pay myself a salary and fund a retirement plan, I may not pay any tax anyway. And I just avoided all taxes.
0: When you say it has to pay interest, does it actually have to make monthly payments or could you have an agreement where it's accrued interest and it's paid off at the, the time of closing?
1: Right. What happens is the IRS is going to impute interest to it whether you pay it or not. And so it's usually going to be about 3%, 4% right in that range. I think it's right around 3% right now. We use the federal rates. Gotcha. So let's say they loaned you $100,000. You're going to have to recognize $3,000 of interest as though you paid it to the corporation regardless. You don't actually have to make the payment. In fact, you're taking a deduction to and the company's recognizing some income. I would just pay it, I'll make it real simple. Hey, right. I'll some interest, it looks good. Do it once a year, it doesn't really matter.
0: Put a paper trail there so you yeah. know, you're know you not getting in trouble. Yeah. What What is one piece of advice you would give to someone if they were just starting their business today?
1: Cash is king, don't run out of cash. Be careful <laughs> about the debt. Uh, and I would say that there's like, it, the only thing that really kills the business is when it's running out of capital. So I hold on to it. And so let me give you a really good example. Um, had a guy from uh, Microsoft. He was a Microsoft contractor. He was making about $200,000 a year. And he was feeling the squeeze because Microsoft would pay him as a contractor about every 30, 60 days. So he had to pay his uh, contractors, the people that worked under him, and he had to borrow money every month to do it. So he kept a balance on his credit cards of about $70,000. Mm when we added it up, it was about $11,000 a year that he was paying in interest. Uh, So I looked at his business and I said, hey, if if we just slightly structure it differently, you could still have access to all the money. We just made him an escort. And it eliminated a big chunk of the self-employment tax he was paying. Plus we added a little 401k onto that. For a lot of people, they don't realize that with an IRA, you can't borrow from a 401k, you can actually borrow from yourself up to $50,000. And so what we did is we rolled his existing IRAs. His wife had 130, he had 90. And we borrowed the money out of his own 401k and wiped out his credit card bills. We made him an S Corp, which saved him about, I think it was $9,000 a year. It saved him $11,000 a year in interest on the uh, credit cards because he still pays himself interest, but it's to himself. Um, And what it ended up doing is giving him literally, it was a 10% of of his income just boosted up. Through the use of two simple structures, but here's the rub: hit because he got rid of that seventy thousand dollars of, of credit, uh, his personal credit score went from six eighty to seven seventy. Yep. So he was able to get a better interest rate on his house, and we calculated the savings over the thirty years, and it was over two hundred grand. And he was able to get credit cards in the company name that weren't reported to his personal credit, and that was over a hundred thousand. Yep. Now, now he is not in a cash crunch. He's keeping more. He has access to all that money. He has $70,000 on his personal that he like we just paid back, but that, that credit is still there. And he had another $100,000 in his, in, in, in his uh, business. And over the life of that business, it's probably gonna save him three or 400,000 just in interest rates. So- that-
0: On top of that, if, if he you know, leverages that credit score correctly, I don't know if he's an investor or not, but you could go get travel credit cards put your rehab on there and immediately pay it off and you get those travel points and before long you're traveling the world free you know i mean uh, just off of one particular move that boosted that credit score And, and again this is as investors so often we want to talk about the these magnificent moves of you know leveraging and and you know like we've already you've already given some amazing golden nuggets today about you know, how you can even loan from, you know, one corporation to, you know, another entity or to yourself. But, you know, it's also about leveraging these other benefits that are out there to us, right? Leveraging your credit score and how that benefits your lifestyle in the long run. So that's, that's amazing. Um, you know, <laughs> I, we we get these uh, these sheets that give me questions to to kind of ask you and Uh, The the last one on here says, what makes you different from the majority of other lawyers? I'm going to skip that one because you've already given us that answer. I mean, you you came in here and just crushed it with the gold nuggets. But we did have one of my uh, favorite listeners, Matt Smith. He did ask a question. He wanted to know, do you need a different entity for active income compared to your passive income?
1: The answer is I would. I'd separate them out. And the, the way I describe this in events, I teach classes all the time, is that, uh, well, I went to Catholic school. And so when you're goofing off, I always say, that's over here. I'm goofing off over here. <laughs> the nuns would just whack you, you know? And, and like, I had ones that would throw erasers at you. So that, <laughs> that's active income. You're getting hit with with self-employment tax on it. You're getting hit with old age death, survivors, Medicare, huda-suda, you name it. They're just nailing you. That's, that's like, it, ah! So, um, and it is kind of funny that, Tax comes from the Latin word "taxari," which means to censure or express severe disapproval. <laughs> so I, was, I was looking at it like if you're paying too much in taxes, you got to pay attention. That's somebody telling you something. Then you get the – then when you're being good and you're walking the old lady across the street and stuff, they're giving you noogies. And they're telling you what a great person you're going to go to heaven and stuff like that and your mom loves you. That's over here. That's passive income. I, I could literally make – like when I, I worked at McDonald's when I was in high school, every dollar they, they nailed. When I go over here and I have, uh, you know, we have north of 130 single families. We have some other stuff too, but uh, I could trade those into more properties. I could sell them and let's just say there were 5 million and I put it into 5 million. It turns into 10 million. I sell those and put it into more properties. I pay zero tax. And then when I die, my daughter could literally sell it all and pay zero tax. Actually, my wife could. I'm in community property state. So if I died, she could sell my entire portfolio the day after I died and pay zero tax. So that's the difference between active and passive income. Passive income is rent, royalties, dividends, interest, and capital gains. And you give it big kisses. You give it noogies. That's over here. And so you really do want to cut it and make it separate. In our real estate world, this is when you're flipping houses. You're going to get hit. You can't, we we were talking earlier about installment sales for the show. You can't do an installment sale on a flip. I can do an installment sale on, on, on over here on investment properties. And I need to make sure that the IRS knows those are separate. So I would actually use a separate entity for those different activities. I'd have a corporation, either an SRC or an LLC taxed as an SRC. Uh, doing my flips, and I would just have a holding pass-through entity, either a partnership or disregarded, uh, for my my rental properties. And I would make it really simple. Like, hey, IRS, you can see exactly what I am. You know exactly which two types of income these are. And the beautiful part, if if I do it right, I can change that active income into a passive income if I really want to.
0: So I'm so glad you brought up you dying. Let's talk about that. Um, it, how should a business be passed down to your, your spouse or your kids? Mm-hmm. What's the appropriate way to do that?
1: All right. So the, the the answer to that question is kind of twofold. First off, if you have partners, then the question is, does your partner want your wife or your kids as their partner? Right. And if the answer is no, then I would have a buy sell and I would fund it with life insurance. So if I die, for example, if I die in my, my firm, I'm an attorney, so I can't give it to my wife or my daughter. They're not attorneys. Right smarter than that right No. uh what i do is i so clinton and and michael we have another third party but uh, clinton i did this a long time ago we started the firm is we said look if i die let's make sure we have lots of insurance the benefits of the proceeds of that insurance policy go to my wife same thing with with his wife and me and then we take over the firm so we own it the surviving partner keeps going on with the firm and we documented that ahead of time you need to do that if you have partners because you don't you also want
0: to advise that the business has insurance on you as well, because I mean, you're, you're a key part of the business, right? I mean, management. the business needs to, like realize a little bit of payment to either replace you or at least replace the kind of income that you're bringing to the company. Right.
1: Absolutely. And so the key man policies is for, usually it's going to be restricted to the top five and they have to be bringing something of significant value to the business. And what it's there for, and there's a key man policy on me. There's a key man policy on Clint, for example. And that puts money into the company. And by the way, insurance proceeds are never taxable. So the company is going to get a big infusion of cash when I kick it. So Clint wants me to go mountain climbing. He wants me to go scuba diving, skydiving, anything else. He's like, Toby, you, you got to take up some more dangerous hobbies, right? <laughs> there's going to be a bunch of cash flowing in there when I kick it, right? right. So, um, so that's number one. But number two, if if you, it's just you. I would almost always in really it's under any circumstances I would just have a living trust and make sure that I am noting to whoever that's going to manage that asset whether I want to keep it or whether I want to sell it. And I'll tell you what protect your kids from themselves. So in my estate plan my like they're not getting anything. They're going to get money if they need it, health education maintenance and support. But I have very specifically, like, hey, I built up a real estate portfolio that's providing income. And it's kicking off passive income. I never want to sell it. In fact, I would encourage anybody. That's called infinity income. Right. That, that will never stop. 100 years from now, that'll still be paying out. There's nothing else out there quite like it. So I would just say don't let your kids sell it to buy a Lamborghini or buy a bigger house.
0: Awesome. Well, very rarely uh do I ever ask someone to do this, but man, you've blown me away with the the just the golden nuggets that you've given us. So uh give us the you know thirty second, forty five second sales pitch for the Anderson Law Group. How can people reach out? What's the best way to do this? And and all the different um give, help give you, that you give people.
1: I'm not gonna sell anything. So here's here's how it works. I need smart people. I need people, like in our firm, we want you to educate yourself. So we teach classes, we teach webinars, we teach podcasts, all that fun stuff. So just go to andersonadvisors.com, and that's with an O. Or you can just type in and look for Toby Mathis. And here's what I would encourage you to do. Every other Tuesday, I do a free, open-to-the-world tax Q&A session. Go to that. Tax Tuesday is what we call it. We answer about 200 questions. It's just nonstop rock and roll. And you can ask any tax question you want what I would do is invite you to get used to interacting with us. And you'll realize that we're pretty darn transparent and where we actually start getting paid is when we input, you know, put a plan in place, but you got to get your education up there. So you know what we're doing. You never want to put yourself at the mercy of a, of a professional. Right. You want to be able to control them because otherwise what you'll find is that you're working for them. And so, and we're no different. I say just make sure that you're really learning your stuff and some of you guys are sophisticated. Then let us do a plan for you. We'll be able to tell you what we can save you. We'll be able to tell right away, and you'll be able to, you'll you'll pass the sniff test. Most important thing is make sure that what you have is protected, so you keep it, and you're in control of it, and that you control your taxation because you could choose when to pay tax, especially in real estate. Choose pay awesome, nothing, pay a lot.
0: Well, I'm going to do a couple of house cleaning items. Uh, you think about your final thoughts before we wrap up here, um, guys please uh, do me a favor. We're looking for five-star reviews on iTunes. If you're watching on uh, YouTube, give us a thumbs up. If you really didn't like us and you want to give us a one-star review or a thumbs down, just eh, just X out and forget about doing that, okay? Only if you like us. Um, on that note, Toby, thank you so much for spending time with us. Final thoughts?
1: Oh, I'd say that you're in the right spot. And uh, here's the thing. Birds of a feather flock together. You want to stick around people that actually do what you do and ignore everybody else.
0: There you go. All right, buddy. Thank you for taking the time today. All right, guys. We'll see you all next week. Thanks so much for listening to The Titanium Vault with your host, RJ Bates III. For more info and to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash the titanium vault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on The Titanium Vault.